Well, this morning, I'm going to invite you to find your way to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 today. And I'd like to tell you about the train tracks in Homedale, New Jersey. (laughs) Whenever my parents um, packed us up in the car, and I remember them packing us up in an old Dodge Monaco station wagon, believe it or not, packing all seven of us in the car to head to uh, Homedale. We were going to Aunt Trudy and Uncle Bud's house, and and there were our cousins, uh, Kenny, Linda, and Brucie. And, and those trips bring to mind some specific things. Let me share with those with you. The first one is, I remember food. Food. Because when we were going to Aunt Trudy and Uncle Bud's house, that typically meant that there was going to be a large family gathering from the German side of the family. And all the German cooks would turn out in mass. And the desserts would be amazing. My grandmother would bring her little wax bag of German jelly donuts from the bakery. And that just is a memory, memory when we went to Homedale, New Jersey. The second uh, memory, the second thing that stands in my mind is cool cars. Uh, My cousin Kenny, I remember, had a Ford Shelby that was beautiful. And if you know anything about muscle cars, Ford Shelbys were just like an amazing vehicle. And I remember him always working on it. And he also had a motorcycle, I recall. I could see it in the garage. And there was just always cool things happening around cars and motorcycles. And for, for a boy, that was like amazing to me. But then there was the train tracks. And Brucie and, uh, Brucie and I, uh, we'd be, we would join with our cousin Polly and we'd go to the tracks. We would bring a penny with us and we'd go to put those on the track and we would, we, would, we would wait for the train to come by, hoping it would come by and it would run over the track. We'd get a safe distance from it and sometimes the train would come and as they'd come by, we would feel the, the wind just hitting us. We'd in a, be in a safe position, but the wind would hit our face and the train would go by and then we would look for the flattened pennies. Well, as I've been thinking about that, I don't think... I ever found one of my pennies in one of those excursions. But I remember doing something else. I remember we would lay our heads on the tracks before the train came. You know, just like those cartoons where they lay their heads on the track. And we would put our ear, we would press our ears against the steel, hoping to hear the train, listening for the train. And my memory tells me that I am certain that there were times when we heard the train coming before it got to us, and then we'd run for safety. Well, in recent Sundays, we have been pressing our ear against the rumblings of the world around us, and we have been listening. We are listening as the world has struggled and continues to struggle with a global pandemic that's disrupted life. We are listening to the factious commentary all around us that reveals how deeply polarized we are. We are listening to the cry of people of color who are exhausted by injustice and and injustices done against them just because of the color of their skin. We are listening 
in the unknown and the unsettling and the uncertain and the unresolved tensions around us. We have been listening for the gospel. Asking, what does the good news of Jesus, the gospel, have to say to us? A number of weeks ago now, I made this statement. What does the gospel have to say to us? We are a people who believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news for all. That it is not only a belief system, but it is a life-transforming truth. We also believe that that transformation is not solely individual and personal. We believe the gospel is intended to transform culture and society and ultimately all things. We believe in the God who will make all things right and that God calls us to join him in living lives that reflect what it means for him to make all things right. Because we believe that the gospel is that powerful. So stand with me on these truths that we have uncovered. The gospel is the gospel of peace. This peace needs to work for me in my life, but it also needs to work through me in the world as evidence of the hope in God that we have that he will make all things right. Our general superintendents made this statement a number of weeks ago now. We begin to long for and pray for and work for a time where there is justice and peace. Where hungry people can eat and where diseased people can be made well. Where holy love enables us to live together joyfully even in our great diversity. We begin to live toward the time where there is no hatred, prejudice, unjust systems, or racism. We live today the way God wants his world to be tomorrow. Am I living today the way God wants his world to be tomorrow? The gospel. We're listening for the gospel of peace. We're listening, remember, we discovered it is also the gospel of overflowing hope. In Romans, we saw these words. He is the God of hope, and hope does not disappoint This beautiful hope, it it beckons us, it summons us to live quite different lives. Lives that are molded and shaped by the God of all hope. And, And just like peace, hope must always work through us and not just for us. So how am I bringing hope to the world? And last week we were reminded that the gospel is also the gospel of extended grace. And we ask the question, is my way of being in the world as someone who is a recipient of grace? Is my way of being actually transforming life and the world, my life and the world around me in my loving God and loving others and bringing grace to those extent, grace extended to me, grace extended through me? Will I allow God's grace to be that powerful? Do I, do I believe God's grace is that powerful in these days? Well, this morning our, our ears are pressed against the ground one more time. And as we listen to the rumbling, I invite you in joining me in listening for the gospel of faith. When someone speaks of faith, they right away Think of religion. In some ways, we speak of faith in terms of separateness from life, though. In fact, we go to great lengths in culture 
to keep faith in its own category aside from the real things in life, if you will. Like making a living and raising kids and working through a pandemic and facing the issues of race. We keep faith in its own category, trying not to blend them sometimes into the places of real life. Sometimes I think we are more followers of the philosopher Plato than we are of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now this is oversimplifying it, but, but Plato believed that there was a separation between the spiritual and the earthly. Do you live that way? Do I live that way? This separation from the spiritual and the earthly? Put faith in its category over here and put, put the real world in its category over here? But when you become serious about faith, you eventually look to the Bible. And, and I'm sure that you probably have your favorite passage to turn to when you start thinking about faith that warms your hearts. But from beginning to end, life with God is a life of faith. In the earliest record of man's interactions with God, there's this beautiful thread of faith that weaves its way through. <laughs> there's also the most astounding failures of faith. You could say that the, the, the true sin of the original members of the human race was a failure of faith. Because Adam and Eve, you see, Adam and Eve thought placing their faith in themselves was better than placing their faith in God. It was more important than placing their faith in God. Maybe that's why we read in Romans 14, everything that does not come from faith is sin. But as we are listening for the gospel in the days we are living, we must remember that the life that is expressed in the gospel of peace, the life that is sustained by the gospel of hope, the life that is gripped by the gospel of grace is born out of and fueled by the gospel of faith. With our faith, there's an engagement of the mind to believe. There's an engagement of our will to accept and our hearts to receive the saving grace of Jesus, and in doing so, embrace life with Jesus. Let's call that the with God life, as others have called it, the with God life. It is well said in words we read just a couple weeks ago from Romans 5, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What a great day that is when we land upon this place where we stand on Jesus by faith. But, but this faith that initiates this with God life in relationship with Jesus is not a one-off decision. It's not a one-off transaction that gets me in with Jesus and makes sure that I'm you know, secure in heaven. It is the entry point of a lifetime of day-by-day, step-by-step, moment-by-moment engagement of the mind to believe and the will to accept and the heart to receive and live with Jesus every day. Now, Hebrews 11, if you haven't turned there, turn to Hebrews 11. We know that as the faith chapter. It's a who's who of people in time and history, who lived out and lived into a deep faith in God. It is where we get our most basic definition about faith from. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things 
not seen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Quite literally, when it talks about this substance of things hoped for, quite literally, it's that which stands underneath us as a support. Now imagine that. What stands underneath us as a support. Faith is that which owns the hope of the future in the midst of the realities today. That's what faith is. Faith is the act of placing the entire weight of life experience and the world experience on the one, the only one, who can handle it. But again, too often, as I implied earlier, we relegate faith to a one-off decision, a one-time decision to believe, or we just say faith is just nothing but uh, exclusively religious practice. Too often, we live with this dualistic approach to the practice of our faith, thinking that there is a great divide between the spiritual and the secular. Well, that dualism never was and never is in the intention of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why the Bible goes on and warns in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Because you see, that really tells us that God works across the spectrum of life. Scripture invites us to a faith that is a life. Not just life, it is a life. Explore faith in the Bible and you will not find separation, but you'll find integration of faith with life and life with faith. Just read through Hebrews 11. And what you find is you find people there who dealt with the real life issues by faith. You'll find issues like family life and hardship. You'll see social upheaval. You'll see people dealing with difficult spiritual decisions, leadership challenges, circumstances that required obedience. Do you know that when you read through Hebrews 11, you also find that even through faith, there was the administration of justice in the land. So all that we're talking about in terms of racial reconciliation and the justice that needs to be brought in our world, fundamentally, fundamentally it's an issue of faith. You see, there is no separation intended here in Hebrews 11. Now later in Hebrews 11, I'm struck by two summary descriptions of the lives that are listed as examples of faith. And as I listen for the gospel in these days, We find ourselves, and these these summary descriptions help me. The first one's in verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. That's That's a good thing, right? But it says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all considered pillars of the faith. In the course of their lives, they lived into covenant relationship with God. And yet, in their lifetimes, they did not see what had been promised. And yet, they did not turn back. They did not give up. They did not lose faith. Run your eyes down through this hall of faith in Hebrews 11 and you get to another group of people. Let's call them the unnamed heroes. We know the big names. We know the Abrahams and the Moses. But there is this group that's not described by their names. 
but rather they are described by their pain and suffering in life. Beginning with verse 35, it says this. There were others who were tortured. Some, verse 36, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. What a statement that is, isn't it? Because most of these kind of people, we sometimes don't want anything to do with. We don't want to be around that stuff. But it says here, these people, the world was not even worthy of them. They were so, so great in their faith. And then it says they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. How in the world were they able to do that? Well, the prepositional phrase that is mentioned 19 times in Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the only answer to the question of how were they able to do that. That phrase, by faith. By faith. And then this is what is said about them in verse 39, chapter 11. These were all commended for their faith, yet, again, None of them received what had been promised. Do you see what happens here? Our common view, or let's just say a common view of faith, is undermined, isn't it? This is not transactional. This is not a one-off thing. This is not, not transactional that is meant to satisfy me or make my life better or improve my lot or ease my pain quicker. That's not what this is. This is not an intellectual, mental ascent that accepts a certain way to believe and a doctrine to agree to while disconnecting from putting braces on my kid and trying to love my neighbor who's different than me. This is a faith that trusts in and connects to the God who is always present, working in unseen ways, always being for mankind in real life. And as we look out at our world today, my friends, this is the faith we need right now. The tectonic plates of life and culture are shaking. We'll pick that theme up a little more next week. But the truth is we are tired. We are tired of dealing with the unknown, the unsettling, the uncertain, and the unresolved. And that is what we have been facing and will continue to face. It's a different world today in many respects. How the world has changed in 2020, I think 2020 will be marked for the rest of our lives of some of the shifts that have taken place. In this kind of world, in this world that is shaking, a mere religious profession of faith is not enough. A mere listing on a membership role of a church is insufficient. A mere identification with a religion called Christianity is going to fail you. It's not enough. A mere religious profession is not enough to embrace the conversation on race and genuinely work toward reconciliation where necessary. A mere religious profession is not enough to love my neighbor through a pandemic, sacrificing my own convenience and comfort to be concerned for other people. A mere religious profession is not enough to carry you through 
the slowly fading health of a loved one. A mere religious profession is not enough to actually live life. This is the faith we need to have today. A faith that moves us through by drawing God into the truest experiences of life that we have. We heard that in the psalmist when he said, How long, O God? Whether it's the depth of my unseen struggles or the tensions and issues and life in the public square, just a set of beliefs I nod my head to will not do. My dear brother David Vryhoff wrote these words. The faith that is needed is not a faith that exists only in the mind, but a faith that has taken hold of the heart. The unshakable conviction that God is and that God loves and that God can and will deliver us and see us through any trouble. Faith is embedded in relationship and reflects commitment and trust and fidelity. We believe in God. But again, like the psalmist this morning, the days around us cause us to wonder where God might be in given moments. As someone recently said to me, we need God to do something in our country right now. And I think we all have our own idea of what we think that should be. But perhaps we look and we wonder. But we too are a people of promise. Remember, we are the people who believe in the God who will make all things right and that God calls us to join him in living lives that reflect what it means for him to make all things right. We really do believe the gospel is that powerful. We do believe that. That is a statement of faith. Because we are the people who in full trust in God pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we look around having prayed that prayer a thousand times and we may ask, where is that happening, God? We are like Abraham who was promised a people that would be as grand and great and numerous as the stars of the universe. But he did not see that. And yet, we find what I think may be the best description of faith. It's my favorite description of faith. His faith and faith in general. In Romans 4.17, it says that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. He gives life to the dead and he calls into being Things that were not, things that don't exist, he calls into being. And so we believe in the unseen hand that is bringing into being things that we just can't see. That the gospel is doing its work. That somehow in all that's happening in this world, God is moving, God is working. We believe he is working for peace where it seems absent. We believe he is restoring hope where it seems lost. We believe he is extending grace where it is needed the most. And we especially believe that he's doing that through the people who follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we find ourselves straining for it, looking for it, wanting it. And perhaps like these heroes of faith, it seems like we will not have it. And yet, by faith, we see beyond what we see, even in the unknown, the unsettling, the uncertain, and the unresolved strain of the world around us. We look for the grace of God working in and through us. God is working right now in the midst of all you are encountering, I am encountering, we are encountering. And like the heroes of faith, it is that very faith in the unseen hand of the unseen God that activates our lives to be part of what he's doing in the world. We don't just sit waiting for God to do something for us, but it, it activates something inside of us to join him. There's no better description of that kind of faith than the words that are found in Galatians 5, 6 where Paul is talking about religious differences. But when he, when he says it, when he says in verse 6 that there's neither circumcision or uncircumcision, he's specifically talking about Gentiles and Jews. He's talking about people who have some different religious approach. He's talking about some people who have some different ethnic backgrounds, some different cultural backgrounds. And this is what he says. This is the description of the kind of faith that activates us to join God. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let's capture that, my friends. Anything outside of that doesn't count. It's an accounting term. The only thing that measures right is faith expressing itself through love. Unless our faith finds an outlet of loving others, then it is not faith we have. All we have is a self-serving religious label whose aim is to improve my life with limited regard to the lives of others. But remember, remember, we are the people who believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is this transforming truth that not only transforms us individually, but it is intended to transform culture and society and ultimately all things because we believe the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. But it is only in and through and with a faith that as David Vryhoff defines is a willingness to trust in God, to put our confidence in God and in God's love and truth and power. That faith. Well, my head is back on the train tracks. I'm pressing my ear to the steel to listen. In the midst of the rumbling, I'm listening for the living God. For the good news that he is working in our world and in my life. I'm listening for how I am to be an agent, a partner in his good news, in our broken, hurting, divided world. Will you take that step of faith with me? Will you take that step of faith with me? Who knows where it will take us in our life? Who knows what God would call us to, but could we be open 
coming with, to God with humility and to one another with humility? Can we be open? We don't know where it's going to take us. Certainly we do not. But we know who will take us. Let us put our faith in the living God. Let us keep listening for him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you today. We want to thank you, Lord, that you meet us as we come to you in faith through Jesus. And that we live this with God life, this with you life. We want to thank you, Lord God, that it's not a separate category from the other things in life, but rather, Lord, it integrates faith with life and life with faith. And we pray that as we walk in this world that we find ourselves in, that, Lord, that's the kind of faith we would live. That's the kind of faith we would practice. That's the kind of faith we would embrace. So, God, be with us, we pray. We ask you, Lord God, for the gift of that faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. It's been great to gather with you today. Um, here in the sanctuary, I have a couple of folks who are sitting actually in the sanctuary, including my wife. And Adam Sander is sitting here. And I just want to give a shout out to Adam, who's just been hammering away at taking care of the sound all these weeks. And thank you, Adam, for doing that. And uh, I got Brian up here and Jeff's up here. And these folks are serving us, serving God and serving the church. I just want to say thank you to them. But now, would you just receive this benediction? And as I've asked you before, you don't have to, but I've really come to believe that this posture, this is the posture of receiving from God. And if you want to just turn your hands up, palms up, and hold them out to God. Receive the benediction. And now, may the God of peace and hope and grace, may he energize your faith to throw the full weight upon him of your entire life so that he would activate your faith to live in such a way that expresses his love, that you would love him, love your neighbor, and that together we reveal Jesus in our world. To God be the glory. Amen. God bless you. Again, be looking for that email this week. Remember, registration for next week's service starts at 10 a.m. Uh, tomorrow morning. We may be working out some um, kinks and all of that, so please be patient with us. And then uh, we'll gather. Our first gathering will be next week. We have a limit of 70 people that we're going to have on that. If you in any way are uncomfortable, if in any way you are immunocompromised, if in any way that you're in a vulnerable population. We're asking you to stay home and to enjoy and gather there as well. But now may we all go in the peace and grace and hope of God by the power of our faith in him. God bless you. Enjoy this beautiful day. Stay out of the thunderstorms. Have a good day.